0: Well, three weeks ago when we started this uh, series of messages on choices, I shared with you what research said was the number of choices the average American makes in a day. Do you remember what it was? How many choices? 35,000. That the average American makes about 35,000 choices a day. Now, some of those choices we're more aware of than others. Some of them are well thought out. Others are pretty impromptu and we're barely conscious of them. But every choice you make affects your life. None equally, some in really big ways, other in small ways. But every choice you make has some impact, some effect on you in life. And some of your choices also affect other people. In fact, there's a few choices that have an eternal impact, an eternal consequence. And there's one choice in particular. What you do with Jesus Christ that follows you both in this life and then forever. So choices matter and they have consequences, sometimes eternal consequences. That was the the case a few years ago in Florida when a woman named Diane who was 45 years old and working at an assisted living facility decided she wanted to drive around her neighborhood looking at Christmas lights. And so she picked up a 72-year-old resident of the assisted living facility and they were in her car on their way to pick up Diane's sister and niece to as I say, drive around and look at Christmas lights just to have some some fun. And they were on this four-lane highway doing about 55 miles an hour when all of a sudden they were impacted from the back. They were rear-ended by another car, and the impact was so strong that it tore their car in two, and both of them were killed instantly. The car that rear-ended them was driven by a 21-year-old man named Dwight Samples. In the prior four years, he had gotten four speeding tickets. Two days before this accident, Dwight Semple's mother had given him an early Christmas gift. It was a new car, a Mustang. And he was all excited about it because neighbors had seen him washing it, waxing it, getting it ready. And that Wednesday evening, Wednesday before Christmas, Just at the edge of dark, he was out driving, stopped at a stoplight on that four-lane road when another car pulled up beside him and revved his engine, and suddenly an impromptu drag race was on. Police say the cars reached speeds upwards of 120 miles per hour, and suddenly he saw in front of him Diane's car going half the speed he was driving. And it was too late to stop, and so he rammed her from the rear. And as I said, both of the passengers in her car were killed. But the story doesn't stop there. Because he was driving the car his mother had given him as a Christmas gift. And when he rear-ended Diane's car, he killed his mother, Diane. An impromptu decision, a split-second decision while stopped at a stoplight when some nut challenges you to a drag race. And his life is changed forever. His family's life will never be the same a 72-year-old passenger in her car and everyone who cared about that person impacted in a way that can never be undone. Choices matter. And some choices matter a lot. Split-second decisions can have very real consequences in life. And some of you this morning in this room and others watching on television are going to make a choice this morning. I don't know who it is, but I know that some of you are going to make a choice today, right now. And that choice is one that's going to impact you not only for the rest of your life, but beyond this life, beyond the grave, it's going to impact you in eternity. And that decision concerns Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What choice are you going to make about a relationship with him, about committing your life to him, becoming his follower and allowing him to forgive you and save you and change you? And the decision you make about Jesus Christ, some of you are going to make it today, the decision you make to say yes or no to him is going to shape how you die, And how you spend eternity. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 that it's appointed, it's determined that once each and every one of us will die. You can't avoid it. You will die. I will die. And after we die, the Bible says there is judgment when we stand before God. The only question is when will you die and how will you die? But you're going to die. And the truth is, the Bible says, there's only two ways to die and only two ways to spend eternity. The choice you make in relationship to Jesus Christ determines how you die and how you spend eternity. Two weeks ago, we said that there's really only two ways to live. You're either going to live as someone who listens to what Jesus says and then you build your life on it, you act on it, you obey it, or you're going to live your life as someone who does not do what Jesus says. That's it. You either obey Jesus or you don't. There are only two ways any person can live. Last Sunday we said there's only two ways to approach God. You're either someone who says, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness and I need salvation and I need Christ, or you're going to be someone who says, I don't need that. Because either you don't believe it or because you believe you're okay without it, that you're a good person and everything will be all right. And the Bible says those are the only two ways to approach God, either in humility and repentance of your sin or saying, hey, I'm okay. I don't need anything. And the way you choose to live and the way you choose to approach God, the decision you make about Jesus Christ is going to determine how you die and how you spend eternity. Each week, we've looked at a story to illustrate lessons about those critical choices. Today, we're doing the same thing. So I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, another story Jesus told that teaches us important lessons about death and life after death. And so if you have your Bible, look with me in Luke, chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. This is what the Word of God says. There was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. That was an expensive dye, so it means he had money and and he wore nice clothing, expensive clothing. And there was a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides this, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, I don't want you this morning to focus on the fact one is rich, the other is poor. I mean, it's true, one was and the other wasn't, but that's not what I want you to focus on. What I want you to focus on today is their experience beyond this life. Because one of the points this story is going to make is that just like their experiences during life were radically different, their experiences in the next life were also radically different. And I want you to focus on their experiences in the next life, not this life. And so the Bible tells us, the the story continues in verse 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, another another name for heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, or in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now look at that again. In hell, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in what? Agony. In this what? flame. But Abraham said to him, child remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony over there. Besides all this between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who would wish to come over from here to you will not be able. Anyone in heaven that wants to go to hell and bring comfort to someone suffering there can't. And none may cross over from there to us. Anybody who wants to escape hell and come to heaven can't. The rich man in hell said to Abraham, he said, I I beg you, Father, that you send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, back to the land of the living, if you will. For I have five brothers. Send them back to them in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They've got preachers and people who witness. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, Abraham said to the rich man in hell, if, you, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the people who are already talking to them about Jesus, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And for the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been risen from the dead, and still the majority of people choose to not believe. Now, I want to focus on these two men who died and entered eternity and what the Bible, what this story Jesus told teaches us about death and eternity. And the first thing I want to talk about is this, that, that there are some things that every human being will experience. There are similarities in the death experience, similarities in eternity for every person. There are some things that every person in this room and every person who lives will experience. The same thing when it comes to death and when it comes to eternity. And the first thing this story teaches us is, about the common experience of humanity when it comes to death and eternity is this, is that there is consciousness, there is awareness beyond death. There is consciousness, there is awareness in eternity. Both of these men, as well as Abraham, knew where they were and they were aware of what was happening to them and around them. They were aware of their life on earth. The rich man remembered his family, that he had five brothers still living. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on a mountain with three of his disciples. He has an experience there. We call it the transfiguration. It's when his face became bright with the glory of heaven and suddenly he had the appearance that he has in heaven. Those three disciples see this and suddenly standing there with Jesus talking to him is Moses and Elijah both of whom had been dead for centuries and yet here they are standing and speaking to Christ because the Bible says that God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of living because death is not the end. The Bible from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament and the New Testament, gives witness to the fact that beyond the grave there is consciousness, there is awareness, and every person, not just Christians, but every human being will have an awareness of life, of existence beyond the grave, will be conscious beyond death. But this story in the Bible also teaches that beyond the grave, Not only is there consciousness, but there is individuality. There is personhood. Just as I am Steve in this life, I will be Steve in the next life. Just as you are you in this life, you will be you beyond the grave. Personhood. Individuality. Their names are given in this story. It was Lazarus. It was Abraham. Lazarus was still Lazarus. Abraham was still Abraham. The rich man who is not named was still the rich man. They were who they had been in life. During the transfiguration, it was still Moses. It was still Elijah. You know, one of the movies that's uh, popular now is Star Wars. And I remember back in the 70s when I was in college... When the first Star Wars movie came out, I can tell you where I was, I can tell you the date I was on, I can tell you, I can tell you everything about seeing the first Star Wars because I was just blown away by it. I love Star Wars. It made an impact on me. Big movie, big hit. And of course, it's all about the force. This energy, this energy in the universe that, that is that is comprised of all of life. And while someone's alive, they can use the force if they are aware of it. When they die, they sort of are absorbed into it, become part of that energy, part of that force. And while people may not use those terms, the truth is a lot of people today view life and death and eternity in a similar fashion. That when you die, you cease to be you. You cease to exist as a person, as an individual. And your mass changes form. Your energy just moves into that energy field, energy force, and, and you become part of the, the great whatever that is beyond, the great universe, the, some whatever you define as God. But you as an individual don't exist. Yet the Bible says that thinking is wrong. In this story, Jesus, and throughout Scripture, the Bible teaches that beyond the grave, individuality still exists. Not only is there awareness and consciousness, but there is personality. You will still be you. As I said a moment ago, Abraham was still Abraham. Lazarus was still Lazarus. Moses was still Moses. Elijah was still Elijah. And you will still be you. Do you know why that is? Because the Bible in the very beginning tells us that when God created humanity, he created us in his image. And God has personhood. When you die, you do not cease to be in the image of God. And the personhood, the individuality with with which he created you continues. You will be you, personhood, individuality beyond the grave. But there's something else that every human being will experience in death and eternity. Not only consciousness and individuality, but every human being will experience this. The place where they find themselves and the experience they will have, their existence, their reality beyond death, that place is tangible and it's real. Just as this place is tangible and real. In this story their senses were still active. Not only were they conscious, but they talked. They heard. Their speech, their ears, their hearing. Their sense of feel, of touch. Physically they were they were emotional. The rich man was concerned about his family. Lazarus was being comforted. Your emotions, your physical touch, all of these senses, their, their sight, were told in this story that when the rich man died and was buried, he lifted up his eyes. He saw. One was in a place described as a place of suffering. The other was in a different place, a place of comfort. When Jesus was speaking about heaven in John's gospel, he used the most basic word in everyday Greek language for a house, for a home, because the Bible unanimously speaks of the place where you exist beyond the grave as being tangible and being real. But there's another thing that all human beings have in common when it comes to death and eternity. The place where they find themselves, their reality on the other side of the grave is fixed. It's permanent. It's unchangeable. It's eternal. It's forever That's the reason in the story we're told there's a chasm between the two. You can't move from one to the other. The place where you find yourself, that tangible, real place in which your senses are alive, in which you are aware and conscious That place, that reality, with your individuality, with your personhood that you are experiencing, the very moment you die, that place, that reality, that experience is fixed. And you can't change it once you are there. You can't undo it. I remember when I was five years old, two months before I turned six, Watching television one afternoon when they announced that President John Kennedy had been assassinated. Now, the big reason I remember it is because I asked my mom, What's the president? I didn't know. A few weeks later, President Kennedy's brother, Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, was being interviewed. And he said, You know, Jack almost didn't go to Dallas. He thought it wasn't the thing to do. But some of his advisors said that he ought to go ahead and appear in Dallas. And then Bobby Kennedy put his hand to his head and said if Jack had it to do over, he certainly would not have made that trip to Dallas. But once you're dead, there are no do-overs. You can't come back and live a different life. You can't come back and make different choices. You can't undo what has been done. Where you find yourself, your reality, as a conscious, individual person in a tangible and real place beyond the grave, wherever that is, whatever that is, whichever one it is for you, because there's only two ways to die and two ways to enter eternity, but whichever one you find yourself in, it is fixed forever. The rich man and Lazarus ended up in two very different places. With two very different experiences, and Lazarus' experience was fixed and unchangeable, but so was the rich man's. Heaven is fixed and unchangeable when you're there, and so is hell when you're there. The rich man in hell in verses 23 and 24 make it clear he was experiencing agony and torment Pain and could not find comfort, and there was no end to it. A few years ago, I sat down and read the four gospels several times. And I made a note on a legal pad of every verse where Jesus talked about hell. And on a different legal pad, I made a note of every verse where Jesus talked about heaven. Interestingly, Jesus mentioned hell in the four Gospels 31 times. Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven. And the idea that hell is simply some archaic teaching of the early part of the Old Testament is misinformed because Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the entire Bible. Some of the words he used to describe the place the rich man was now living, he called it outer darkness, a place of everlasting punishment. He said it's fire, it's a furnace of fire, everlasting fire. The Greek word he used more than any other for hell was Gehenna, the name of a garbage dump outside the city walls of Jerusalem that burned continuously. He said, if you want a mental image of what hell is like, look at that garbage dump that burns. That's it. And he said, it's forever and unchanging. I want you to imagine with me a man, if you will. Imagine a woman. To go through this beautiful life enjoying the wonderful things of life. But never making time to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Maybe one of them says I plan to someday but someday never comes. They keep saying another day, another day and put it off. The other one just never gave any thought to it. But they both lived life and enjoyed life and both died without Christ. And found themselves in this horrible place where the rich man was now residing. Place of agony, a place of torment, a place of no comfort and no peace. And they cry out, how long, oh God, how long? And the walls of hell echo back forever, forever, forever. Hell is waiting for some of you. The book of Isaiah describes hell and death as places that have a huge appetite and they've opened their mouths wide to receive people. Jesus said that the gate and road that lead to destruction and hell is wide and big and a lot of people travel it and some of you are traveling the path to hell right now. And you're going to make a decision this morning either to stay on that road Or get off that road. You're going to make a decision to ignore Christ or give your life to Christ. And it's going to have an eternal consequence without a relationship with Jesus Christ. The experience of this rich man is your destiny forever. But Lazarus had a different experience because he was in a different place. He was just as conscious, just as real, and just as tangible a place as the rich man, but it was a different place and a different experience. He was in Abraham's bosom. He was in heaven. He was being comforted. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because those things have passed away. See, listen, your achievements in this life have no impact on your eternity. None. Your relationship with Jesus Christ, however, does have an impact on your eternity. The rich man did not want to see his family again because he understood that if he saw his five brothers again, it was because they were coming to that place where he was. Hell, and he didn't want that. So he didn't want to see his family again. Everyone in this room, you have people in heaven today who want to see you again. Some of you have a mother who loved Jesus with all her heart and she wants to see you again. You had a grandfather who loved Jesus with all his heart and he wants to see you again. You had that friend who invited you to church time after time, year after year, and they want to see you again. People who love the Lord and live for the Lord and cared about you, and they want to see you again. And whether or not they see you again is determined by what you do or do not do with Jesus Christ. When those Islamic terrorists flew the two airplanes into the World Trade Center, into the towers in New York City on 9 11 working in one of the floors above where the plane hit the building and one of the towers was a a businessman sitting at his desk when the building began to shake and he was trapped, wasn't able to escape and he died when that tower collapsed. But before it fell, he sat at his desk and on his computer typed an email to his son was able to hit sin and it went he had written son our building has been hit see you in heaven love dad will your loved one see you in heaven will that friend who cared for you even if it meant Being laughed at by others, but they cared for you enough to pray for you, to talk to you about Christ, to invite you to church. Will that friend see you in heaven? Will the Sunday school teachers who poured themselves into you see you in heaven? Will your children see you in heaven? Will your parents see you in heaven? Will your loved ones see you in heaven? And do you want to see them in heaven? Do you want to have eternity to fellowship with them? Do you want to be in the place of comfort, the place of peace, the place of joy, the place where there's no tears and no suffering and no pain and no death? Is that what you want? Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Do you want to make the choice that you're going to live your life listening to Christ and doing what he says? Will you make the choice to approach God as someone, as a man, as a woman, as a teenager that says, I know I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy of heaven. And if all I have is me, then I have no hope. But thank God there's Jesus. And Jesus, I ask you to save me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to give me eternal life. Jesus, I come to you humbly and completely in faith right now is that what you want because i can tell you brothers and sisters that's what jesus wants for you the person in heaven this morning who wants to see you there more than anyone else is jesus christ the one who on that cross at calvary suffered hell so you would not have to go to hell he wants to see you more than anybody else Do you want to see Him? Do you want to be with Him? Then the only way that can happen is for you to give your life to Him and to do it now. Because once you die, it's fixed. And so I'm going to ask everyone in the room to stand at this time. No one moving, no one leaving, no one talking, no one making any noise. Just stand to your feet. And I'm going to lead us in prayer so I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. And after I pray, I'm going to give those of you who want to give your lives to Christ an opportunity to do so. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for the men and women, the teenagers and the older children in this place who have never been saved, I pray that today they would say yes to Christ. Give them the heart. Give them the desire. Give them the the courage. Give them the boldness. Give them the faith. Give them the humility. Give them the brokenness. Give them what they need to say yes to Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you would say, Pastor, you've been talking to me. I need Christ. Because I know I'm not ready to die. In fact, if I died, I'd go to hell. But I want to go to heaven. And I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I want to live for Him. If you would say, Preacher, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And I'm, I want it right now. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to lead this in a prayer out loud. I want you to say it in your heart and mind to God. You're not saying it to me. You're saying it to him. And you have to mean this. You have to really want this. And you have to believe it. You have to believe God will hear and answer this prayer. And then after you pray your prayer, when we're singing, I'm going to ask you to come to the front where Brother Jamie and I will be standing. Because Jesus is going to stand in front of the whole universe on the judgment day. Remember, it's appointed to me and wants to die, and after this is the judgment. Jesus is going to stand before the whole universe on that day and declare to the universe that you belong to him. And he's asking you to stand and declare here and now that you belong to him. Not be ashamed of him. And then we want to help you with your next steps so you can grow. And so I'm going to ask you, if that's what you want, you want to give your life to Christ and it be real, not just a a word that you say, but be real, a real decision, a real commitment to Christ, a real salvation, a real coming to Jesus. And I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm not worthy of heaven. And I'm not ready to die. I believe you love me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid for my sin. And I believe you will forgive me and accept me. Right now, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I accept you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I completely give my life to you. Forgive me for sinning. Wash away all my sin. And give me eternal life. I accept the gift of your home. The gift of heaven. And I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to be ashamed of you. I'm going to grow as your child. I will follow you faithfully. And I know you'll be there to help me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And for answering this prayer. And I love you. I want everyone to look up. So we're going to sing. Team will lead us. You sing, sing out loud. Come and get on your knees and pray. Come and join the church. And those of you who give gave your life to Christ, come and tell me or Jamie, hey, I prayed that prayer, and Jesus is my Savior. And I want the world to know I'm 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 I've got Jesus. Let's sing together and you come right now as we sing together. Grace in grace Some of you at home watching right now prayed that prayer with me, and I want you to know that God heard you, whether you're in your living room, bedroom, wherever you're watching, wherever you prayed that prayer, God heard you just like he heard the people here at First Baptist Church this morning. It's just as real for you as it is for the people here. But I want to encourage you to take the next step, and that's to let people know you need to tell somebody that you committed your life to Christ, and you need to be connected with a local church so you can grow and learn, just like a you know a little baby has to have a family to nurture it. You need a, a Christian family to nurture you, and just like a, a child needs food and so on to, to nourish them and make them stronger. You need spiritual food to nourish you as a follower of Christ and that spiritual food is Bible study and fellowship with God's people. So I want to encourage you on Sunday morning to, to get up and go to church. And if you can, come to First Baptist here on Dave Lyle Boulevard. We'd love to have you as part of our family of faith. We have two worship services. One starts at 10 minutes after 9 o'clock, 9:10, and the other is at 10:30. I preach the same sermon in both. And if you come next Sunday, please find me before or after the service. I'm very visible. Uh, in fact, after service every Sunday. I'm at a table where I greet guests. Come by and introduce yourself to me and say, hey, preacher, last Sunday I prayed that prayer with you watching on television. God bless you. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you.